Chapter Twelve of From Mud to Mufti by Bruce Bairn's Father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve, Overseas Once More, Our Ever-Growing Army, Trains and Tribulations, My Destination at Last. Being a rotten sailor, I was relieved to find that I was to go out at the narrow end of the channel, i.e., by the Folkestone Boulogne route. By setting my teeth and staring intently at some object on deck, such as a life-belt or a deck-chair, I can generally survive this passage if the sea is calm. A staff-captain with red tabs and a red hat, leaning against the bulwarks like a gymkhana dummy, is lowering to oneself and encouraging to the enemy. I kept well, thank goodness, and staggered down the corrugated gangway at Boulogne in the most efficient manner. I have crossed to France about eight times so far in this war and up to the time of writing this have drawn it lucky. I walked down the wharf I knew so well and on past the Hotel de Louvre to the station. Near the AMLO's office, I don't know what that means, but countless thousands will know the place, I stumbled across a fragment from France right away. A war-weary Bert, elated by prospects of going on leave, was approaching the docks. He had just asked the French porter some question. A torrent of explanatory French followed. Our Bert, weighed down by haversacks and equipment, stood stolidly, listening and gazing intently at the porter. The verbal torrent ceased, and Bert slowly asked, And how does the chorus go? A slight effect, but it amused me at the time, and making a mental note of the scene, I drew a picture of it later. I got all my ticket business fixed up by the RTO railway transport officer, and found I had some time to wait for a train. I took a stroll through Boulogne. Very amusing it was to me. This was the place where after the second battle of Ypres I was put into hospital. This was the place where I stopped for a day when I first came out to the war. I mentally fought those days over again, but Boulogne was altered. Everywhere were the signs of the growing British army. Things were looking more settled and businesslike. The primitive military arrangements which we had of necessity when the war first broke out were all gone. One could feel the ever-growing British Army was digging itself in, and slowly but surely settling down to make a job of beating the bounder Bosch. I lurked about the town for a bit and then returned to the Hotel de Louvre and had a final meal before pushing off on the train in the Amiens direction. All good trains in France seem to start in the evening, and you get to wherever you want to go sometime the next morning. I had never been to the battle area between Arras and Amiens before, as all my time previously had been put in between Ypres and Epinette, south of Armentieres. This journey in a new direction was quite a novel experience to me. I found it just like all other wartime French journeys, twelve hours in an overcrowded first-class carriage with all the windows shut. The RTO had grasped where I wanted ultimately to get to, and had made out one of those bilious-looking yellow forms entitling me to go to a place called Longpre. When arrived there I was possibly to be met by a car. Longpre conveyed nothing to me except I knew it was somewhere down Amiens Way. An overcrowded train pushed off from Boulogne sometime in the evening, and we driveled about through Etaple and Abbeville all through the night. I have done a fair amount of traveling in France in wartime. But if you really want a good sample of a boring journey, Boulogne to Amiens, or vice versa, is as good as any to experiment with. You leave Boulogne, 
late in all probability and after gazing for about two hours at some grass-grown derelict railway siding just outside the station the train moves on until you get a commanding view of a sodden cabbage patch in a fifteen-acre field from which mammoth faded wooden hoardings regale you with allurements such as chocolat minier or the heliopolis hotel cairo close to golf course these are varied with the lipton or heinz pickles fifty-seven different varieties you now move on another hundred yards in the twilight and come opposite a vast yellow board with faded and scabbily chocolate-colored lettering exhorting you to take du bonnet après le main sleep now overpowers you and by means of balancing your head against the screwed-on ash-tray in the fumaire carriage you doze and finally slumber you awake with a start and remove your legs from the french major's lap who is sleeping next to you and who through continental politeness has raised no objection to them being placed there you rub your eyes and try to look out of the window great scare what time is it wonder how long i've been asleep wonder if we've passed long prey your watch tells you that you have been asleep four hours you rub the fog off the carriage window in a panic great scott we may have passed long prey and be at amiens as you can't see through the foggy window you rise and open the one over the door some weed overgrown lines and the sharp end of a low platform are visible but not a soul is about presently a figure looms out of the darkness and comes along the line at the side of the train you don't know the french for is this long prey long prey monsieur with as much interrogation about it as possible indignant answer from figure on lines non 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 etaple merci monsieur you collapse into the carriage etaple caesar's ghost etaple why that's the next station to boulogne sleep again the train rattled and jolted its shameless way into long prey at about eight o'clock in the morning as far as i can remember Longpre is a ridiculously small place with an importance quite out of proportion to its size owing to the war. It happens to be a junction. I got out onto the line, no platform ever near the train when it stops, and pulling out my meager belongings after me deposited them on the track. There's something about the way a valise flops onto the grass-covered line that says, Here you are now, and it's going to be a, of a time before you go away again. I wandered to the RTO's office, a small wooden hut complete with telephone and maps. I told him who I was and where I was going. A very nice chap he was, too. He started off a telephone call to the place I was bound for, asking whether they would send a car or whether I should go on by train, and then invited me to have some breakfast in his place, which was a small cottage about a hundred yards away. I went with him when he had finished with that train, and after an excellent breakfast kicked around the place until an answer rolled up on the phone. The answer when it arrived was pleasing. Car was being sent and would be there at three o'clock. This was now the last lap of my journey. In a few hours I should start off for Montrelay, the place where I was to carry out my new job. The RTO had told me that Montrelay was my headquarters, but beyond that he knew nothing except it was a very small village on the way to Doulon and that it was in my army area. At three o'clock the car arrived, and bundling my valise and bag into it I started off for Montrelay, which was to be my home for some little time to come. End of section 12. Recording by Philip Gould.